I love this service and I love this time of year and um, I love having the kids in here with us. Kiddos, in the middle of your table there's a little packet and uh, some colors, crayons and some coloring sheets in there and I would love to see um, your masterpiece after the service. Maybe something as you listen to the message tonight would, uh, would grab your heart or you might draw a picture of that, but uh, I, we just love this time of year. We love to do this service just to, before we uh, celebrate all the presents and all the other things tomorrow, that we can pause our hearts and our minds for just a minute, and we can solely focus on Emmanuel. You know, peace is not the absence of trouble or joy, the absence of pain or hope, the absence of difficulty. As a matter of fact, the Christmas story has become so nostalgic, it actually took place in one of the darkest times for God's people, Israel. They were oppressed by maybe the most power-hungry, tyrannical government in history up to that point. They were taxed up to 70%. Their own leaders were vile and hypocritical. Jesus would even call the leaders of the Israelite people, you brood of snakes, But in a time so dark, the light shines. With the announcements of the birth of Jesus, nearly all the characters of the Christmas story display this posture, this attitude, this emotion of peace and joy and hope. In a year like our 2020, in a year much like our 2020, God's people longed for something to change. But there had been no word from God for 400 years. And they waited and they prayed and they worshiped. You know, we've been asked to wait a lot this year. Wait two weeks to slow the spread. Another six weeks to flatten the curve. Just wait until things open back up. Wait until the summer. The heat's going to kill the virus. Wait until we reach herd immunity. Wait until fall when kids go back to school. Let's wait until after the election. Wait until that first debate. Wait until the election results are in. Still waiting for all the election results to be in. Wait some more. Wait for everybody to get a vaccine. Wait. Waiting might be my least favorite thing to do. I just can't stand it. If there's three cars in front of me at the Starbucks drive-thru, it's not worth it. I went to a Chick-fil-A the other day and they took longer than seven minutes and I condemned them, right? You're like, you know, you're better than this. But it's certainly necessity in life and it was a theme that ran through the Christmas story and we see it over and over. Now waiting doesn't mean that there's nothing to do, it just means that the answer is not just around the corner. So the people of God waited and they worked while they waited and they worshiped while they waited and they prayed as they waited. Until finally the time had come. And there's this little passage that the kids read today. I want to look at briefly. The names of Jesus that the angel tells them. It says in verse 21 that Mary will bear a son and you will call his name Jesus. For for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the prophets 700 years earlier, behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with 
us. This is who they've been waiting for, the promised Messiah. We learned several things about this coming baby. Two of those names uh, are in this passage. Three names total I want to look at this evening. The first is that he would be Jesus. You will call his name Jesus. The name Jesus means the salvation of Yahweh. It was fairly common in that name, but of course not too common today. You know how in sports when you retire a jersey from someone who just had this spectacular career, no one else has those numbers again. Jesus was kind of like that name. For he will save his people from their sins. The angelic messenger briefly and eloquently stated the work of the coming Messiah. He wasn't coming just to be a friend. He wasn't coming to provide um, some kind of political change. He was coming to save his people from their sins. He would come as a savior. He would save his people from their sins. This description of the work of Jesus reminds us that Jesus met us in our sin, but his purpose is to save us from our sins. He saves us from the penalty of sin and the power of sin and the sin's ongoing presence in our life. Wonderfully, I love too that it says that he saves his people. It doesn't say he saves Israel, but it says he saves his people. If it had said it saved God's people, we might thought it was only for the Jewish people, but it isn't belonging just to those from Abram's lineage. It's those that belong to Jesus, being one of his people. He would be Jesus. And he would be Emmanuel. This is the one I love, the one I sit with, the one that I read so much about during the Advent readings. Emmanuel, God with us. Can you think of a better promise in scripture than that, that God would come and be with us? His relationship and his nearness to man. He is God and he's God with us. In what sense then is Christ God with us through every action of our life that we begin, continue, and end in his name? He is God with us to comfort and to enlighten, to protect, to defend us. In every temptation and trial, in the very hour of death and the day of judgment, God is with us and in us and we with him and in him to all eternity. We can deeply meditate on that name, Emmanuel, God with us. It shows us how God, the sovereign God of the universe that opened his mouth and out came the flaming sun and everything else that was made had come close to us, how he bent down to save man. He added the nature of one of his own creatures to his own divine nature, accepting the weakness of humankind, the frailties, the dependency that the ones that he created actually experience. It shows that we can come to him. If he's come to us, then we can come to him. Then if Christ If Jesus Christ is God with us, let us come to God without any question or hesitancy. He's God with us. John Wesley died with this very quote upon his tongue, his last words. The best of all is God with us. How incredible. I'm going to talk about one more name tonight, one that Jesus uses of himself you know, some of you have those names. You know that you have the names that your parents gave you, and then you have the names you might formally go by. 
Might be a middle name or a family name or maybe even a nickname. My dad's name is Larry Powell Allen. But if you meet anybody that knows him growing up, his name was Bubba. So I, that's, that's what they have, his name, Bubba. And so I, I ran into someone uh, the other day and we were making small talk and they said they were from Mooringsport where my, where my father grew up. And I said, oh, you know what, my, my dad's from there. He's about this guy's age, surely they're going to know each other. And I said, you know, he's, well, what's his name? His name's Larry. He looked at me kind of puzzled. And I was like, you know, well, they, they lived in the house across from the school with the big bell. Oh, oh, Bubba. Bubba's your dad. Yeah, I didn't call him that. But yes, like that's Bubba. Jesus had many of those kind of names. Did other people call him? He that they referred to him, that prophesied about him, the son of the most high, he was the son of man, he was the Messiah, and on and on we could go. To describe to his followers who he actually was, though, he says this in John chapter 8 and verse 12, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He refers to himself as the light of the world. And what is the world without light but simply darkness, complete darkness? And it's into this darkness that the prophet Isaiah would say that the light was coming seven centuries before his arrival. In Isaiah 9, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, the light has dawned. The apostle John and the gospel bearing his name would would lead out with this very statement in verse 4. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light that gives life to everyone was coming into the world's. Scripture says that he was slain before the foundation of the world. Long before you you or I were ever born, Jesus was bringing light into the darkness. Long before we did our best thing or our worst thing, long before we made a success of our lives or a mess of our lives, long before we thought we were good enough, we were good enough for God, long before we found out we weren't good enough. Long before you ever knew you needed peace on earth, there was Jesus bringing light into the darkness. And in a world that's more confused and disoriented than ever before, Jesus continues to bear witness that he is the light of the world. And he's constantly inviting you and I to step out of the darkness and into the light. I love personally that all the times and ages that God could have sent Jesus into the world, he chose an ancient world of mostly darkness. Both spiritually and physically, before electricity and light bulbs, before LEDs or glow sticks, Jesus was born into a world where light was a flame. The flame was so treasured. It was valuable for life. And more than that, it was even transferable if your light went out. If you needed a light, you didn't have to rub two sticks together. You could just 
go to the house next door. Maybe their coals were still burning hot enough and you could, they could share their light with you. When Jesus said, I am the light of the world, they would have immediately thought that he was valuable and treasured and in a way transferable. As a physical representation of this truth, the early church would often light a lamp or candle and they would watch it spread and they still do this today, the lighting of the lamps. And they would keep a lamp burning in Joseph's empty tomb. And from that they would draw a flame and from that flame they would share it to another and to another until the flame would spread to everyone who was there. As a physical representation of this truth, we're going to do the same tonight. You can go ahead and pull those house lights down. Before we go immediately to the candles, let's take this one, one next step. Matthew 5, verse 4. Jesus would, wouldn't say just that I am the light of the world. He would say, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all who's in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. For many, 2020 has been a year of discouragement, grief, and darkness. I've had four people who've heavily influenced my life pass away this year from COVID. And it doesn't get any easier. And the it's just been a, it's been a difficult year. This is the first year that I've seen so many people call their Christmas series A Weary World Rejoices. Maybe for the first time in a long time, we are just that. We are weary. But what if the greatest thing that could come from a year like we just walked through from the waiting is a brighter burning flame in the hearts and lives of those who follow Jesus? What is darkness after all but the absence of light? Jesus is the light of the world. And when that light came into the world and the darkness didn't overcome it, and that light's now burning in you and through you, the light of the good news of Jesus. I remember years ago, my oldest daughter, Claire, we were reading the Christmas story and she said, Dad, that just sounds too good to be true. It sounds impossible. I said, oh, Claire, it is impossible with human strength and wisdom. But we serve a God who does the impossible, who wraps himself in flesh and comes to earth as a baby, who was raised up perfect in every way so he could say yes to something that you or I could never say yes to. 
so he could pay the price of sin of mankind, that he could willingly go to the cross, that he would give his life in exchange for yours and mine, that he could pay a price for your sin and my sin, that he could die on a cross in our place and be buried in a borrowed tomb. And when the world said everything was dead and done, the third day he would rise from the dead and conquer the grave and ascend to heaven and is one day returning the second advent that we long for. If you think that Christmas sounds impossible, it is, my friend. According to your own strength and wisdom, but not according to God. We serve a God that does the impossible. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The invitation is twofold tonight. For some of you who hear a message of peace and joy and hope at Christmas time, and you're like this, I don't feel any of that, Pastor. You know what? You, you can. Because it's not found in your circumstances, it's found in a r- real relationship with Jesus. And my invitation to you tonight is to take a step of faith. Place your faith and trust in Jesus. The other part of the invitation, many of you who are believers, is to let your light shine before men. It goes on to say in John 1 that he came into his own and his own people did not accept him, but all who did receive him to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Let's sing about that great light.